There you go, Evan. There's your clap. Cut. Hey, you didn't cut the clap out of the last YouTube video, man. <laughs> Did he cut the... Um, he cut the breakout. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Evan Evan does a uh Evan does an awesome job. Like you said, Amy, technology. Look, man, we're country people. I mean run a trot line and skin a buck, but not not handle the technology. You asked me to edit a video? Oh, son. I'll be in here. Look, I'll be in here with these because we do this for YouTube now. And when we first started doing it, I thought, well, I'll just you know, I'll do the editing myself, and I would be in here, what, Blake, for a half a day yeah, oh yeah. editing a 30-minute-long yeah, yeah. segment. Of, and, and literally, when I say edit, I mean trimming a little off the front, <laughs> a little off the back, and syncing the audio from the microphone up with the video. That was a half a day's work. Well, and let me say, Evan, if you're listening to this, you've, you shortchanged yourself big time. I, Chad would have paid you $500 Don't an episode. Tell him that. <laughs> I gotta take my earrings out. We're not on. We're not going or anything yet, are we? Oh, we're always going. <laughs> we're always on. These earrings are killing me. Well, you did just come through Atlanta. I mean, oh, you had to. You 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 look you look great today, Amy. It's been quite a while since we've seen each other. You look like you got younger. Oh, um, I'll take that. What, That's nice. What's been? Go- I'm typically in running clothes and barely alive. When uh, I see yeah. <laughs> Uh, oh, for all you guys listening, I'm sorry. Welcome back to the 307 <laughs> Podcast. Um, you might have heard us talking about something called Salty Britches. If you've listened to this podcast for any amount of time, you've heard me talking about Salty Britches. And that's because Salty Britches has sponsored this podcast and supported 307 Project really from the very beginning. All right, and Salty Britches is a anti, I call it an anti-chafing cream. I, Amy's going to tell us a little more about it, and that's not, this podcast is not all about Salty Britches. This is about Amy. Amy is the founder and the owner of Salty Britches. But anyways, it's an anti-chafing cream. I connected with Amy way back when. She's been just, she's poured into our mission, supported us uh, in so many different ways and this podcast and also with a, just an awesome product that now I've used for multiple, multiple hundred mile plus mile races and it's kept me comfortable and it's kept me um, chafe free because I hate chafing. I got my <laughs> fill of chafing in buds, yep. sand, salt water, BDUs, just it was awful. Sounds like she needs a mic. Might need to set up a stand just outside of Bud's, huh? <laughs> oh, man. We might be working oh, on Oh, Lord of mercy, son. <laughs> uh, but anyways, we we had the opportunity to uh, to get Amy on the podcast. Thank you for being here with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to y'all. Yeah, I'm pumped, too. Um, look, I, the first time I remember us meeting, or, or us, I guess the first time we met was at camp, and then in person in yeah. person but did you call me before that because i remember talking to you on the phone when i was living in blake's basement you called me actually did i yeah okay you i cannot remember exactly how it unfolded i found you when i saw you know you had just gotten out of the seal teams you were running ridiculous mileage jesse had commissioned you to help him run ridiculous mileage 
Yeah. And I thought, oh, that guy needs salty britches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I sent you a message on Instagram and I mailed it to you. And you were just so receptive and kind. And then you called me and we talked about what you thought about it and you liked it. And here we are. That was 2019, I think. Gosh, it just yeah. seems like it, it seems like a whole nother time and place. I mean, yeah. It's I crazy know. how that much was really has changed. early too for me. Yeah, and I remember yeah. it was. Yeah, you were still working through some, you know, some of the finer details yeah. of of the product and fine tuning mm-hmm. all the aspects of of what you do. Um, man, gosh, it's so awesome to be connected with people like you. Mm-hmm. It really is. Ah, look, we have had this relationship professionally now for you know a couple years. I, I, I want to get a better feel for who is Amy Tucker. Tucker, right? That's right. That's yeah. all pronunciation, all good. Amy Tucker. I've never said your last name before. <laughs> <laughs> I never have. I always just call her Amy. So, uh, look, who is Amy Tucker? Like, oh. not like, yeah. I know there's a lot wrapped up into that question, but where do you want to start with answering that? Because I'm interested it's, to learn more about you. It, I'm just a simple 45-year-old mama. I mean, really, it. I grew up in South Carolina. Obviously, I'm from the South. Um, hot, humid area. My son is now 15. I've been married almost 19 years. Um, we have a blended family, so I have two step adult children now that I've been in their life since they were nine and 10 years old. So we have a great relationship. Um, I started out, I went to college, majored in chemistry. That's kind of a story by itself. And then was recruited before I graduated to work for a company called Milliken, which is a textile company. And uh, went straight to work in a hot plant and wore steel-toed boots and safety glasses and put in a machine and turned some wrenches and... um, from there, I was promoted to a different position that had me travel all over the world, and I can tell you a little bit about those stories. And then I, that's where I met my husband, and we both didn't want to be in textiles, so I, I left and went into pharmaceutical sales and um, actually sold Viagra for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be dying. Back in the day. God bless you. <laughs> nobody would even uh, talk about it. Yeah, that was fun, but that really helped me get out of my comfort zone. Um <laughs> I went from Pfizer to Amgen and, and got into a biologicals and then from Amgen to Regeneron. And then um, Salty Bridges appeared really out of nowhere, kind of out of nowhere and not really out of nowhere. It was an answer to my son that had a real need. And I made it for friends and family for four years and never gave it a thought. And then in 2017, people found out I made it and it demand went bananas and then in um, late 2018, I decided to take the leap and leave corporate life. And we sold everything we owned and moved into what we affectionately call the tiny house, which was a tiny house before they were cool. <laughs> and uh, we bought land next door and built our shop. And here I am. I'll be dying. That's the very quick and, and dirty I, story. Uh, dude, I had no- dude, I did not know who we were dealing with here. I didn't know we had a chemist in the room. <laughs> You didn't know that? What? No. <laughs> I just thought that you were some old country girl. <laughs> I am. That that had uh that that 
you know, I know the story. That slapped some stuff together. Yeah, they needed to put something together to keep from getting chafed out on the beach, man. That's the truth. I don't think my chemistry degree had much to do with it, honestly. (laughs) I mean, I I knew some things that would help with inflammation, and I knew um, some things that would be a good skin barrier and things that would play well in the sandbox, and I ordered some different raw materials and mixed them up, and that's it. Holy smokes, man. <laughs> oh, hold on now. You turkey hunt. Yeah. What's up with that? How did you get started <laughs> turkey hunting? I, I mean, it's just my environment. I mean, I grew up in the South. and um, Who took you on your first turkey hunt? Oh, gosh. Who took me on my first turkey hunt? I think it was a woman named Jan Stevens. I'm pretty sure. Or maybe it was Randy Wilburn. So when I started working... At Millican. I didn't grow up turkey hunting. That came after college. Um, I grew up doing some deer hunting, nothing major, but I've traveled all over the country to turkey hunt. Really got into it big time there for a while. And um, a friend of mine, well, no, actually the boss, I had a boss at Millican when I first started working there who had three daughters. And he took me under his wing and um, he said, I have a a group that I think you'd really enjoy, and it was called Women in the Outdoors, which was put on by the National Wild Turkey Federation. And um, the lady that ran the program lived in his hometown in Union, South Carolina. So I went to an event and met her, and she had she's gotten her slam twice. She uses nothing but her natural God-given ability to call a turkey, no diaphragm, no box calls, nothing. And I just hooked on to her, and... Went to Florida with her twice to um, hunt Osceola, and I've hunted Rios in Texas and hunted Easterns. <sighs> hunted is the key word. I have killed very few, because I've, I've. but the stories are awesome. Yeah. But I've traveled all over the East Coast to, to hunt Easterns, and um, yeah, she kind of got me into it, and the first time I heard a gobble, I was just hooked. Man, there's something about it. There really is. And, and by the way, I, Amy's talking about the Grand Slam. It's where you can travel all over the continental U.S., and there's different species of wild turkey. And if you can harvest each one of those species in the same, what's the same season, right? All in all in one year, I guess. I, I, I don't think, think you just got to harvest them all. It doesn't matter okay. the time. There's no time frame on yeah. it. Mm-mm. Yeah, man, there is really something about that that turkey goblin at mm-hmm. sunrise, man. I mean, Blake is the turkey hunter. He hunted oh, hard this season. We've talked about it. <laughs> yeah. I didn't kill but one this it year. It was a big one, though. Yeah, he was pretty good. Well, I didn't even see a turkey. But I didn't hunt but about, what, three times? We got I real close to that one that was still roosted. Oh, yeah. But y'all don't guess you ever seen it. No, I never saw him. No, I had a I had an awful turkey season, but it's because I didn't hunt. Well, yeah. April is very, that's a very busy time of year. I know for your business, for mm-hmm. my business, it's, this business has kind of changed what I want to do for fun, you know. But I have to tell you this funny story. I went to Florida to Osceola hunt the first time and missed one. Just flat missed him. And these are hard birds to hunt, yes. right? The Osceola is one of the harder species to hunt. They're well, pretty rare, aren't they? I don't know if they're as hard as Easterns. They're harder to find. Okay. There's just so, there's just a lot less of them. Yeah. And you have to be able to find land that, you know, you can find a bird. And we had a great landowner that had a all natural farm. <laughs> That's going to come into play in the second story. So we went to hunt the Osceolas, missed the bird, 
on the way home, a hen flew into my car <laughs> and, and hit the grill of my car, it, and I killed it. An Osceola <laughs> hen? No, it wasn't Osceola. It was Eastern. Eastern. Yeah, okay. and it was in Georgia, actually. It was on the way home. I could not okay. believe it. Could not have written that up. You're not supposed to kill hens, by the way. Yeah. So the next year, we go back down to Florida. And it was post-hurricane. And you could see all the black water on the trees, you know, where it had receded. And Boy, we hadn't heard a thing. And we had scouted a little bit. And we, we didn't roost any birds. We didn't have a clue where we were just going to go and try to hear something in the morning because we did not have any luck the night before. And we started super early. It was another girl. Her name's Kim, who actually is from Tennessee. And she and I were set up, and we noticed, it wasn't light yet, but we had noticed some movement. And I knew this guy had cows. I'm like, these are, that does not look like a cow. What is that? <laughs> just as we were just getting enough light to kind of see, it was people. It was people running through flipping cow patties and pulling mushrooms. Son. Yeah. Huh. All natural farm, and the cows weren't grain fed. Huh. So when you... <laughs> A cow patty from a grain, you know, a natural fed cow produces those mushrooms, and that's what they were doing. So do you think we saw a bird? We saw no bird. Did y'all harvest one? The mushroom or the turkey? <laughs> Neither. No, I Neither. heard that them, them mushrooms that grow under them cow turds will mess you up, that's son. A, yeah, the LSD mushrooms. Oh, yeah. That's huh. what they were doing. Well, yeah, I so had never even seen nothing like that happen before. <laughs> Tell you, that would have ticked me off. Yeah. Oh, it oh, would have yeah. ticked Blake off to no end. Oh, yeah. I actually, I just told Kim, I said, I'm going to shoot up in the air. <laughs> I mean, there's not even birds here. <laughs> and these people were trespassing. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, man. Yeah. I We could do nothing but a podcast on turkey hunting. I yeah. have lots of good turkey hunting stories. <laughs> well, you know, what, what I want to ask you, Amy, is... um. First of all, as I, as I now as I learn a little more about you, I see you know you coming up in the South as as a Southern woman, right? And, and you know whatever you endured through to, through childhood all the way up to the point that you decided that you were going to go to college, not for something easy, yeah. but for chemistry. I don't even know what chemistry is. <laughs> it's some wizardry to me. <laughs> I can't even understand it. Then you go and and you you join the ranks of a a, a highly revered company. I've heard of mm-hmm. McMillan is Milliken. Uh, Milliken, yeah, mm-hmm. McMillan. I've heard of that. You travel the world, mm-hmm. um, in, in obviously a, a, a holding a, a pretty important position. Um, then you decide to risk, just I say risk it all, yeah. right? Leave yeah. all of that in order to go and be an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and, you know, sell this product that you have designed and poured your heart and soul into. All right, here's the thing. Help me understand, and specifically from a female's angle, like, how did you find the courage to do that and what was driving you? And I ask this question because it frustrates me so bad that the October basic course, it's all male. Oh, really? Be- be- because I-, I don't have enough females to come out and-, and-, and do that. Like, what is going on? I just feel like there's something missing here. 
What is different about you? You you're out in the wild. You're turkey hunting. You're you're <laughs> you're you're literally just achieving these awesome things. How have you done that? Not specifically as a female, but just the angle. It's going to have your your angle on it. I, I just it just it just drives me crazy. Is because I, I I see like they can learn. I. Female specifically, we can all, but need to learn something from you. So how would you explain your ability to do all this stuff? Uh, I don't... What was driving you? I don't know. I think it's just part of it is just my DNA, I think. So to really open that box, um, my mom is from California. Born and raised. Her whole family still lives there. My dad is from Greenwood, South Carolina, and he was stationed in the Navy in San Diego. Met my mom on the beach there, and he decided, my my dad outside of the Navy was a disc jockey. So he moves back to South Carolina, and they want to get married. So my mom and my aunt, who's from South Carolina, flew out to California to drive across the country with my mom in a Volkswagen Beetle in 1970. One of my favorite pictures of all time is my mom and my aunt standing outside of this Volkswagen Beetle, and they had taken masking tape and put it on the back windshield, and it said, South Carolina or bust (laughs) on the masking tape. And I remember her telling me that her dad told her, now, every service station you stop at, because back then they were all full service stations. You know, you didn't pump your own gas. He said, everyone you're going to stop at is going to tell you you need oil. You don't need oil. This Volkswagen Beetle will run to the moon and back, and you won't need oil. <laughs> and she said, sure enough, every single service station she stopped at, they'd tell her she'd need oil. And she said, I don't need oil. Just put gas in my car. It, that that took guts. Just for mm-hmm. her, at that young age, she was probably 19 years old, to drive all the way across the United States with a map. You know, I'm not talking. No you don't have a cell yeah. phone back in 1970. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in a beetle. In a I've Volkswagen Beetle. I've made a that straight drive. drive. <laughs> yeah. In a beetle to California? No, not no. in a beetle. <laughs> I've, I've made the drive in a California. Yeah, it takes several, day, several days to do this. And she never gave it a second thought. It was what she wanted to do. And she left her whole family and moved to South Carolina. And this is the woman that raised that's you? That's my mother. Okay. Yeah. What What are some things? I mean, I've, that's that's an amazing feat. Yeah. Especially in that day and time. I mean, what yeah. are what are some things that she instilled in you that you think made you different? I always, this may sound a little funny, but I always knew I was a little different. Um, like the stuff my friends were into really wasn't what I was into. Um, just, I just knew, I always felt like a fish out of water. And when I went to school, um, I was drawn to science. I loved it. That's a fish out of water. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to work at 14. I uh, started working in a snow hut, making snow cones. To this day, I wanted a snow cone. I ate so many snow cones <laughs> when I was 14 years old. <laughs> then she would drive me to work, and I, I went straight to work and paid for my own car and, you know, paid my own way through college and school. And if I was going to do it, I had to pay for it. So mm-hmm. I went to work. Um, I didn't do sports. I didn't cheer. I didn't do any of those things. Um, I kind of wish I would have done a little more of that, but I went to work. So at 15, I, I, from the snow hut, I went to a pharmacy. And I worked in a pharmacy all through high school 
for several pharmacists, um, like a little, there was like a little gift shop and, and pharmacy. It was Savage Drug Store in Abbeville, South Carolina. Worked there all through high school, and I decided I wanted to go to pharmacy school. You know, I'd, I'd been in that environment. I liked people. I liked working with the public. I thought that's what I wanted to do. And so I, I went to college for biology. I loved my biology teacher in high school, and she encouraged me to go on and go get my biology degree. I had done some research as a 12th grader on the effect. I have, my grandmother had real bad osteoporosis, and I'm, I'm like, you know, I need to find a cure for this. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm just a fish out of water. What high school senior thinks I'm going to spend my entire senior year trying to figure out what I can do about osteoporosis. Yeah, yeah. But I um, went to the local butcher, and I got a bunch of cow bones that were freshly slaughtered. And I went, and I worked with caffeine, and I did some testing on these things to see if caffeine was accelerating the degradation of bones. I mean, just crazy stuff. I loved it. Mm-hmm. I got to ask, I what did it. you find on caffeine? I didn't find out a lot. Okay. My research was very um, shallow. Like I, I couldn't really, I didn't have the, I didn't have the tools to go a lot deeper, but I thought I wanted to pursue that in my undergrad and go on for, for that in graduate school. I just had to ask for Chad's yeah. sake. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Um, I didn't find a lot of correlation there, but mostly because the bones I was using were not alive anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, it, it taught me a lot, but I didn't come up with any real conclusive evidence because I wasn't working with very good materials, <laughs> but at least it sparked my interest Mm -hmm. of research so I went on to um, college for biology went two years for biology and decided I don't want to go to pharmacy school I had a little crisis I don't know what I want to do I don't want to do that though and I know I don't want to do that (laughs) I don't know why it just came over me that I didn't want to go to pharmacy school I wanted out of school and I was a junior no I was yeah I was a junior I changed my major from biology to chemistry as a junior because they really go hand in hand yeah i was one class short of a double major but i got recruited to millican so i said peace out i'm done with school i'm going to work so i decided to major in chemistry because i i understood it i didn't love it like i loved biology but i knew with a chemistry degree i could do anything i could go work anywhere a biology degree was going to keep me in a box and it was going to lessen my opportunities but a chemistry degree I could do anything and that was why I majored in chemistry just for that reason alone you know and as a kid you know I went I went through some trauma as a young child um and it I don't know what it did to me but it made me so headstrong Mm-hmm. just like get out of my way I'm a bulldozer you know I'm not trying to hurt anybody but when I see something that I want to do Doug I mean, I'm gonna do it mm-hmm. and I'll figure out how to do it um it just kind of shaped me into always being a learner mm-hmm. and always trying to achieve something I'm never satisfied yep yep just not satisfied and I, that was that's a different. pretty that's a pretty essential quality for an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. by the way, without a doubt. But it also can be pretty detrimental in some cases. I know it has been for me. It can Relationships can suffer. 
um, other things in your life can suffer when you are never satisfied and you are headstrong and you're not and you're not going to stop for anything. We just did a podcast on it. Yeah, content, being content. Yeah, when it's yeah. good, when it's bad. So I mean, uh, uh, obviously, a strong, strong work work ethic, and then also a willingness to be okay with being different. Like I struggled with that though. Did you really? Oh yeah. I well, you knew you were different. You said you kept saying you're a fish I, out of water. Yeah. You knew you were. You were. But I wasn't happy about. Like I wanted to fit in. Okay. You know, and I wanted to be one of the cool kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually moved into a house in college with five girls with one bathroom, and we were next to a fraternity house, and three of the five girls were in a different sorority. Here, you know, here I am trying to major in chemistry, going living in this environment. And so I don't know how I did that. That was, and working. I, I was a waitress. So mm-hmm. I, I waited tables till super late at night. Um, and I worked in the lab. I'd set all the labs up and the school would pay me to do that. I mean, it was always like, where is a little sliver of an opportunity <laughs> mm-hmm. that I could, you know, just help it feed what I needed to do? And well, I, and this work ethic and this not not being satisfied obviously let, led you to this position that you held in the corporate world. Yeah. Tell tell me about that those years and mm-hmm. you said you got to do a lot of traveling. Yeah. What what was it was there value in that oh, for wow. you and lessons learned? I mean, what yes. came out of that period of your life? You know, and I only I was only there five years and it was some of the most profound years of my life. I was very young. Um, I was recruited to work in the plant as what they call a process improvement engineer. Um, it was a really difficult environment. Like it would rain indoors. It was so hot in there. I loved it. I don't, I don't know why, but I loved it. And I had been there one year and I think I was 21 years old and we were going to put new technology in this plant that had not existed across the whole company. It was brand new technology, and I was young at the job, and there were several other guys that were going to go ask for that machine, and I thought, well, I want that machine. I need to have that machine. I want to put that machine in the, in the building. I want to be the first one to do it, so I went to, I went and presented my case to the manager, and he's like, you're crazy. You can't be serious. You know, you're, you've only been here a year. <laughs> You know, you have all these other guys in front of you that have all this experience. I said, that's exactly why you should give it to me. You know, I have fresh eyes. This machine does not exist in the company. It's not like you have a wealth of knowledge, you know, for them to pull on yeah. to put this machine in. What's wrong with having some new eyes and someone that knows I'm not afraid to ask questions because I don't, I'm not going to pretend I know everything. You know, let me have the machine. And he gave it to me. And I helped you know, build this machine from the bottom up. And I remember I was one of the smallest ones, so I could crawl underneath it and thread it up. Um, and I trained I trained the different operators to run it. I was responsible for off-quality. And then I caught it on fire. Mm. <laughs> I have lots of great stories. It was going really good up until <laughs> that point. What the? So um, actually, you know, this is a plant that makes uh, automotive fabric 
So any fabric that goes inside of a vehicle goes through this plant. So there's, you know, there's fibers everywhere. Last thing you want to do is catch, catch it on fire. It's not, yeah. it's not a good thing. But I had um, worked with all the contractors and all of the suppliers to build this machine. So I had ordered um, titanium solenoids that were going inside this big roll, and they were supposed to spit out ethyl vinyl acetate that was going to spit out of the solenoid and go on the back of the fabric to make it tacky so they could put it around the seats. And I, I had specced that out. I had written the book. I had specced out, you know, titanium. Everything was a go. What I didn't know is they had taken plastic solenoids and coated them in titanium. And the plastic on the inside started to melt and drip through the solenoid Dang. onto a hot plate that over time caught on fire mm -hmm. so i personally put the fire out with a fire extinguisher and it was the first time i'd ever really used one other than a little bit of training here and there but this was like legit big flames and i had to put it out Holy and i remember smart. the shop guys running out there stop stop because <laughs> all that will corrode the machine you you know you don't yeah. want to overspray oh, yeah. it it will yeah. corrode the machine and these are this is a you know gajillion dollar machine that i'm just <laughs> <laughs> so um my manager, and you, you talk about hours upon hours of work of trying to backtrack and figure out what had happened to this thing. And we, of course, we weren't running. You know, it, it was shut down. I have operators I'm responsible for their work and their hourly wage, and they're not working, and there's all this off quality. I mean, it was a huge catastrophe. But I just, I just said, you know, I've got to figure this out. This is my job. This is, my head is on the line. I went and asked for this machine, and now we've got these major problems, and I had no idea what had caused it. So I called in a couple of people to, that knew about solenoids. I called in a couple of people that knew about the heat source, you know, the ink, everything. Those companies I'd call in, and then they lied to us about the solenoids. Mm -hmm. So I took different pieces and shipped it off to a lab to have it broken down and figured out. Cause all you saw was that casing, mm -hmm. that titanium casing. You couldn't see what had happened on the inside. So we took it apart and we shipped it off to have it have research done on it. And they came back and told me what happened. And I put together a, it was like a 45 page spreadsheet of all of the lost time, all of the off quality, the cost associated with the machine, um, everything that happened, and my man, I took it to my boss, my big boss, the one that took me turkey hunting, and uh, he just he helped, he just he he did not encourage me, he did not give me that a girl, he he ruled with you better fix it, you better fix it, you better figure it out, you have one option, that's figure it out, you know. So I'm like, well, I'm gonna figure it out, yeah. And uh, so I went and presented to the company that I bought the solenoids from. And they, they had to cut us a check for millions of dollars mm. to cover all of that. And two weeks after that, I got promoted. And from there, I got promoted to the apparel business. And they moved, like I physically moved to a different town. I moved to Spartanburg, South Carolina. And they said, we're going to... Hank gonna... Williams Jr. sings about Spartanburg. He does. Yes, yeah. he does. Um, Hank Parker, that fishes, lives up there. Yeah. <laughs> so I moved to, South, to uh, Spartanburg. And they said, we're going to give you 350 apparel customers, and you got to go see them. And um, you're the technical um, liaison. So I was responsible for 
the final customer and Milliken and bridging the gap between any off quality. Was it the customer's problem? If it was, I had to train them on how to treat the fabric. Was it Milliken's problem? If it was, then I had to write a, you know, I had to give a credit back to the final customer and I had to decipher whose problem it was. And then I had to fix the problem. Sounds awful. (laughs) It it was very difficult because I had so many customers, (laughs) but my route was, I went to, uh, New York, Manhattan. I had Amory, Mississippi. I had a place in Virginia, a little tiny town in Virginia, that I had a big customer there. I had Los Angeles. I had the Dominican Republic, and I had Guatemala. And so every month I went to the Dominican Republic. The reason I did that is because Under Armour was my customer before anybody knew who they were. So when those guys had just gotten started, all the fabric that they bought came from Milliken. They had red, blue, and white. They had heat gear and cold gear, and they didn't know anything about textiles. Um, and they had maxed out their credit cards on all of our fabric, and they were manufacturing um, in the United States at first. And then they decided to move their manufacturing to the Dominican, and I went with them. And I traveled with them every month, several times a month sometimes. So I basically lived out of a suitcase until the weekends. Were you married at this point? No, 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 no. Okay. No, there was no way I could have done that. Yeah. But um, one of, I mean, I've got so many stories from these travels that all kind of happened in a just a couple of years' time. But um, I was going to Baltimore to meet with Under Armour. You remember when those shootings were happening where the – the shootings were happening where the guy and his son were shooting out of a car. Oh, yeah, I remember that. So that's when I was traveling to Baltimore, and I didn't want to rent a car. So one of the main guys from Under Armour that's still there, he'd pick me up in his truck, and we'd go to the office, and I'm like, I'm not renting a car and getting gas. I'm not feeling, I'm not putting gas in a rental car. If you want me to come up there, you're going to have to come pick me up. <laughs> and that was when that was going on. And then um, when they moved to the Dominican, I flew down, and I traveled alone. I was 25 years old. And I'd travel by myself. Never gave it a thought not to travel by myself. Flew down to the Dominican, got a cab, went to the plant where I had to work. Did the job I needed to do. Held a cab to go fly home three days later. And I noticed the security guard talking to the cab driver in Spanish. I knew un poquito, just enough to get me by. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, aeroporto, aeroporto. See, see, I get in the car and there's like a plexiglass plate between the driver and myself with little holes in it and i'm thinking you know i got a eight minute drive to the airport he drives right past the airport and i'm like hey you gotta you gotta go take me to the airport airporto airporto see see i start screaming at him i'm like turn around we drive 15 minutes out of town and turn down a dirt road and i thought oh my gosh this is about to get really bad. Mm-hmm. This is really dangerous. So I took off my shoes. I don't know. I don't know why. I thought I I took off my shoes and I put writing pens between all my fingers. And I the adrenaline was incredible. And I thought I'm fixing a fight for my life. We turned down a dirt road and there's a dump truck in front of us full of Dominicans. I'm like, this is really bad. You know what? Here I am, the only. I'm young. I'm 25 years old. I'm the only white person around here. Not that that matters, but down there where I was, I felt really in danger. Well, we come out 
to the most beautiful open air airport you have ever seen. And I was the very first flight out of that airport and had no idea. What in the world, man? I flipped out that whole trip thinking I'm I'm about to die. Dude, I would have thought the same thing. You was about to throat punch that man uh, with yeah. his hands. It, it was gonna, it was gonna be a problem. The trucker's lucky he didn't get yeah. killed that day, yeah. son. Yeah, I mean, I cannot. I remember it. I remember what I was wearing. I mean, I'm 45 year old years old now, so that was 20 years ago, and I remember it like it was yesterday. And I never went back to the DR. That was the last trip for me. Shortly after that trip, 9/11 happened. Mm-hmm. So I think that was in August. You know, 9-11 happened in September, and um, I was on the flight. I was supposed to be on a flight from Charlotte to LaGuardia on September the 12th, which is that flight, that Charlotte to LaGuardia flight mm-hmm. that was involved. Man. And, of course, I didn't fly, but I was on the first flight from Charlotte to LaGuardia, which was like maybe two months later, three months later. And was down in the heart of everything that happened. Our our apparel home office was downtown Manhattan and I saw all that and you know I was like yeah this is just it was just so tragic it was so heavy and I thought what am I doing and I was engaged at the time and I thought you know I don't want to do this anymore it had been three years of constant travel I was the only female that had that job and I was the youngest by 25 years and I traveled all the time. And it was incredible experience for me. Incredible. At that age, it was such a gift. But I just knew, I'm done with this. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm done. Between Baltimore, the Dominican, and 9-11, that was enough for me. Yeah, yeah. I was, And I, that was going to be my next question. It's like, why did this stop? And and I can see now why. And, yeah, I mean, that's a high-op tempo that's a lot of freaking stress. That is mm-hmm. taking a lot of risk. Anytime, yeah. anytime you try to, anytime you decide to travel outside of your environment, right, your little hometown or whatever, it yeah, it, it puts stress on you and it's a risk, and especially outside of the country. Yeah. Um. So, dude, I can't imagine seeing seeing New York mm-hmm. being right there in, in downtown. Still smoldering. Yeah. yeah. I mean, good gosh, man. Yeah. That had to have been a sight to behold right there. And so I understand why you're ready to move on. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was How, good. I mean, one of the best stories from that time, though, when I traveled all the time, because I drove myself to Amory, Mississippi frequently. Well, on the way, you passed Talladega. Yeah. And there's nothing out there but then a, a racetrack. So I decided one day, there was no race or anything going on. I said, I'm going to turn in here. I want to go see it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I turned into the drive, and there were these two old men in a van that were security guards outside of the racetrack. And I pulled up and talked to those guys, and ultimately they ended up putting me in their van and taking me inside and drove me around the infield so I could see it. I'll be dying. <laughs> So I'm like, I'm seeing all these great things, but I'm by myself. Mm-hmm. And that was that was difficult. But um, I decided I want to do pharmaceutical sales. I thought, you know, that's science-based. I think this is what I want to do. And really, you don't get into the industry like I got into it. Because I didn't know anybody in the industry. I didn't call any favors. I didn't do any of that. I called Pfizer. I said, I want to work for Pfizer. And called them up. And they said, well, send us your resume. 
I sent them my resume and I interviewed the next week and they hired me. I'll be done. <laughs> and that's just not how you get into that industry. But I did it for a long time and I never, ever felt that I belong there. Never. I did it over 15 years. Almost, I think about 17 years. And it just never felt like I belonged. I don't know why. And I was very successful. I did very well there. Why'd you stick with it for so long? It was what we called the golden handcuffs. I was paid well. You know, I had built my life up to, you know, a nice house on the golf course. And, you know, we could vacation. I had stuff I wanted. You know, I was paid well. None of that mattered to me. You had children during this time? I did. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I had great insurance, covered the whole family, um, company car. I had great relationships with the customers that I called on. They became friends of mine. Mm -hmm. It was comfort, and I hated Mm -hmm. it hated it wow um and i knew i didn't that's why i hopped from pfizer after 10 years i just, you know there's got to be more so i went to biopharmaceutical which are biologic injectables um injectable viagra no 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 <laughs> you know there is an injectable option for that by the way can you even imagine but uh no no that's the, i went from the orals to the uh to the sub cues and then I did. I got recruited. I had a manager at Amgen that actually was my my manager at Pfizer too, and he kept recruiting me when he'd move on. And I'd follow him and got to Regeneron, and I was living the high life. And it wasn't. It just wasn't where I was supposed to be. But I know now. I feel in my heart, all of this was to prepare me for my own my own gig. It was all part of it. Isn't it amazing how you can look back mm-hmm. on on that and, and see how it actually was? I mean, uh, I, that resonates with me so much because I do the same thing. I look back on my career as a SEAL and, and the things that I've done, and I'm like, oh, well, it, this was all literally just simply to prepare me for mm-hmm. what I'm doing now, which is living within my purpose, the reason that I, I was yeah. created and and to be a part of this world at this time and place so that resonates with me uh in a in a big way i gotta ask you though you know it's hard it it had to be a back and forth hard decision to break out of them golden handcuffs Mm -hmm. when all of a sudden you're like oh i've got a i've got a cool thing here it's working But but there's no promise. There's no promise at all. Um, so I, I want to talk about that. You, you would know. you would think that would be hard, but it it wasn't that hard. Do you think um, the timing was just right, or because I bet it would have been hard at, at if you would have maybe. I, I mean, to me, and this is part of why I think I'm different. I just don't have this fear here on Earth. This is not our final place. Yeah. Nothing is going to cause me such angst. I'm not going to be able to figure it out mm. or such heartache. I just That's trust powerful. in that. You know, if it doesn't work, I'll do something else. That's so powerful, man. You know, because this is, this is not, um, this is not my final place. Does that make sense? Oh, I mean, we're going to end up in heaven one day. This is a big whoop. This is a vapor. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. let's go try it. But it, the, w- the way I 
decided to take the leap was really my husband, who's an amazing man, who is really risk adverse, totally risk adverse. And the way this happened is after 2017, when people found out I made it, and I spent every day for six months hand pouring this stuff after work, putting it in a cooler in my on my front porch, having strangers come to my house to tell me about Salty Bridges and what it did for them. It was bizarre. It was really bizarre. And I thought I was going to lose my mind because I was working so hard on both and I was still driving and traveling for the career. And then I had a young son who played every sport it felt like. And then I'm over here trying to do Salty Bridges. I thought I was going to have a nervous breakdown. I'm like, something has to give. How long did that time span go? About eight months, almost okay. a year. Um, it was rough. That was rough. And then I found myself, all I wanted to do was concentrate on salty britches. I just wanted to improve it. I needed to do the things to, mm -hmm. you know, that you have to do to start a company. And I wanted to do it right. So I was researching lots of stuff and talking to lots of people and listening to lots of podcasts. The very first podcast I ever heard was how I built this from Guy Raz, and it was Sarah Blakely. That was the very first podcast on how she started Spanx. And I just became so enthralled with these stories of how these people, normal people, could do this stuff. So it wasn't like I'm not able. It was this is something God gave us, and people are benefiting from it. Yeah. It's not about our comfort at that point. It's about how we can serve these people. Yep. So that's when we decided, okay, we're going to sell everything. We had a little cabin in my husband's family that they built in 1984. That was, fortunately, it was on a lake, which made it super sweet, but nothing special. Tiny. I mean, I could have fit the house I lived in. The house we moved into could have fit in there three times. <laughs> so I didn't care. He, he came to me, my husband, Wayne. He said, I think we need to pursue this. I think you have to. Look at all these people. You're just going to tell them you can't make it anymore? Yeah. And they so they were using it mostly. Some of the really intense stories were people, um, and I don't have a label for this, so I can't make the claim, but the psoriatic arthritis, the real, the spongiatic, um, it's, it's all autoimmune, but their hands were itching really bad and super, super cracked. And there was a lady that was a male lady that, had horrible dry skin from years and years of putting mail in mailbox, and she couldn't wear the gloves because she couldn't grab the mail. Her hands were just so gnarled up. She came to my house. I'd never met this woman in my life. I've not seen her, not even seen her since. I don't even know her name. She just showed up at my house one day, knocked on my door, and she said, are you the one that makes salty britches? And I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, I've got to show you my hands. You know, it was these mm -hmm. incredible stories from people that we didn't know. It was like, holy cow, this is... This is, this is bigger than I think. You know, it's helping these people. Well, it, I don't yeah, have a clue what I'm doing. It became, yeah, I, I see this. It, it's like, it's like all of a sudden there was this. You had a product, but the product became a mission that was bigger than yourself. Yes, and that's what drove you. Mm -hmm. Was you you were mission driven? Yeah, it that, had nothing I totally to do get with, that, man. And, and going back to what you said. The, this is simply an example of a common human with an uncommon desire to succeed. That's all I am. That's all Amy is. That's all any, anybody that you see out here um, that ha that's came from the ground up, right? Not somebody that might have inherited, 
you know, the, these, you know, ma- this massive amount of resources right off the bat and had yeah. a leg up, but coming from the, from the ground up, which is the best way to do it, man. Cause you know, every aspect and every step, and you've had to have your hand on every mm-hmm. piece of the pie, right? It's just simply an uncommon, a common human with an uncommon desire to succeed. And that's part of our creed here at three, three or seven project. It's the embodiment of that. Um, so your husband, mm-hmm encourages you to to make this big shift what did that do i I mean first of all you said he's extremely risk adverse yeah so that's pretty odd and 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 how did it affect how did it did it did it affect negatively or positively y'all's relationship in your marriage as you went through this because now is he working with you no no he still works he works at the company where we met, which was Milliken. Okay. He's been there 35 years. But he that company, his division was bought out by another company called Sage. And he has a he has an important job, but he really enjoys his job. And he really enjoys the people he's worked with for years and years. And we need him to stay there right now. We're still, well, it's still early. You yeah. know, we're three and a half years, almost four years in, which is still early. And that's it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So now I made it a lot longer than that. Yeah. But to actually have an LLC and have a name for the product and that kind of stuff, that's all it's yeah. been. But well, he, he came to me and said, we got to do this and I, I'm going to work on a plan. And he's always been our, you know, we, we had a goal. He'd always mastermind that thing to no end until we accomplished the goal. We worked very well together. This was wonderful for our marriage. Because if there's something hard and we do it together, it just it just feeds both of us. Mm. So we decided, uh, my son at the time was in private Christian school in the sixth grade. And we had to move him out of his school to a public school going into seventh grade not knowing a soul. And that kid came to us after we had moved and said, it's okay. Because, I mean, it was tough. Seventh grade sucks. I don't care where you are and oh, who yeah. you are. And he came to me and said, it's okay. I think this is the role I'm supposed to play. Now, that, that don't come from a seventh grader. That, to me, was a divine voice uh-huh. that this is the role I have to play. I can suck it up. It doesn't matter if I don't get invited to the birthday party, you know, for all the cool kids. This is where I'm supposed to be. That was like, okay, yeah. yeah. It's been It's been little... It's been light flashes or God winks all through the story that's just fueled us along that said, okay, we know this is where we're supposed to be. Doesn't mean it's been easy. Good grief. I mean, it has not been easy, but it's been supported. We know it. We mm-hmm. we feel that we're supposed to be in this hard place, doing these things, riding this roller coaster of peaks and valleys. But we um, we sold it all. We moved to the tiny house. No closets and no laundry room. <laughs> no nothing. And I purged my life. I wore business suits for 15 years and high heels. I sold them all. I moved all my clothes to our basement and I had a sale. And everybody came and bought all my clothes. And I had one rack of clothes instead of a whole closet. I had four pairs of shoes. Uh, not true. Maybe 10 pairs of shoes. <laughs> <laughs> and sold everything else. And... um. We purged. We absolutely purged. I highly recommend it. Doing that in midlife, get rid of all the stuff that weighs you down. You may not even know it weighs you down, but it's stuff. 
Again, this is a vapor. What do you need all that stuff for? Mm-hmm. So we, we cleaned it all out. We moved to the tiny house, and we were on a fourth of an acre. I mean, barely enough room to park our cars without being on somebody else's property. And the people that lived, that had the property next to this house, they had 35 acres. And it was in a family trust never to be sold. And they knew our story. They knew what we were doing. Um, They came to us and said, hey, we're going to peel off six acres. We're going to do all the legal work that it takes to get it out of the trust. And we're going to sell it to you for a song on lakefront property. They could have gotten three times that. Mm -hmm. But they believed in our mission. They knew what we were doing. And they did that, and we bought it. Wow. And it, it's six acres attached to our little fourth of an acre where the house is. And we built a pole barn back when you could still build stuff before the cost of lumber tripled. We, we built the pole barn. My husband and I put a lot of sweat equity into this place. We dried it in, painted it, built a laundry room inside the pole barn so I can get on my little four-wheeler and I, with my laundry, and I drive up the hill, and I do my laundry when I do my work. <laughs> Do, do, uh, do you guys listening understand that this is the formula? <laughs> She's explaining to you the formula of being able to do what you want to do. You see this room that we're sitting in? Um, We built this. Just like Amy and her husband talk, talk about sweat equity. Yep. Mm-hmm. We built this board by freaking board. All right? Yep. This is the formula. Stop acting like you don't know how to do what you want to do. Stop acting like it's not an option for you to do what you want to do, what you feel led to do, the purpose for your life, right? You're making a bunch of freaking excuses, man. You hearing this? Purge your crap Yeah. because it don't mean nothing. You can get live s- with very little. Get some dirt on your hands and under your fingernails and get the job. This is it, man. This is the same thing that we've had to do for the last two and a half years. I was thinking that, that you could change the names and words and that, yeah. that your story is, is just like, I mean, I did the same thing. We came from 2,800 square foot house and I thought, okay, I'm going to make these sacrifices. I'm going to get rid of these things cut down on this here and there and it wasn't a sacrifice at all my uh-uh. my quality of living is yeah. much better now 100% than it was when I thought I was going to make sacrifices and I purge probably weekly I somehow we collect these things and I just have a bag and I fill it full of stuff and go donate it cuz I don't like yeah I don't like extra yeah just whatever that's, I need right. see I don't have to purge because I either lose my stuff or I break it <laughs> Well, it nothing, works out good. Chad loses everything, and I say, hey, here's some extra we've collected somehow. Nothing lasts around my house. I don't care what it is. Between me and Brooke, we will break it or lose it. Y'all are pretty destructive. Oh, yeah, we are terribly destructive. And likewise, I moved from a 10-acre farm in Virginia with a brand-new house to Blake's basement mm-hmm. Yeah, and lived there for six or eight months. Yep. And um, it's, it's just a beautiful testimony right here that I think should encourage people uh, in so many different ways. But there's so many people out there that I think have an idea of, of what, they have an idea of a mission, they have an idea or a pull to, to go and do something, but it's this that stops them. It's these things that we're talking about right here. 
that stops them, right? Yep. And um, that's the easy part. That's the part you know to do. I mean, you okay, sell the house and move into another well, one. When that's you easy. look back, but when <laughs> and when you look back on it, it's where all the stories come from, yeah. man. It's like we could sit here and talk about building this room right here because it was, yeah, it's it was hard and it, it gave us a headache and and like yeah, but like it, that's where the, all the stories mm-hmm. come from. Yeah, and and you drive, you know. I took some money we we made paid off my truck. I said, well, I could have bought another truck, but I'm just going to keep this one paid off. Someone just backs out of the parking lot, puts a big old dent in the back of it, and I'm like, I don't care. This thing beat up anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So you live simpler when you've got simpler things. If I just bought a new truck, I'd have probably been bent out of shape about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you'd have had to get all to take it to the shop. Ben had a headache and all this stuff. I love that. I have you'll appreciate this little scenario then about my husband so when um he's very mechanical thank goodness because I can tear up an anvil I'll never forget the first time he told me that I'm like what's an anvil (laughs) (laughs) he's like oh gosh I'm in for it so when we moved we cleared out all the trees to put our shop in and it left a big red mud hill and he had he was riding somewhere one day and he saw an old dilapidated hydra cedar behind somebody's house that was kind of in pieces. And a hydrocedar, if you don't know, a lot of, like, DOT uses them to spray grass on the side of the highway. And it's like a big tank, and it has a big nozzle, like a fire hose, and it blends grass seed, fertilizer, dye, water, and you spray it out, and the stuff is designed to stick to the ground, and it grows grass seed. Well, he sees this thing. He stops at that man's house. He said, hey, you want to sell that? He was like, well... I mean, I reckon I can sell it. It doesn't work. You know, it's in pieces. It's out there in the pasture to, to die. Yeah. <laughs> but Wayne bought it. And I, he brought that thing home. And I'm like, what the heck is that? We don't need any more crap around here to put <laughs> back together. He's like, no, I'm going to fix it. And I'm going to spray grass on this hill. And he did. He fixed that thing. And he covered our hill in Bermuda grass. And it worked. And because we live on a lake. Now, we live in a little tiny lake in a little tiny town. This isn't a big, huge lake. But people would ride by in their boats and see this and found out he was spraying grass. And they started calling him to spray their grass. And I'm like, hold, hold. You can't do anything <laughs> until I set you up an LLC. <laughs> yeah. So I set up Tuck Grassworks. So as a matter of fact, tonight, as soon as he gets home from work, he hooks up to that hydrocedar and he goes and does a job. And he... He has a tractor, so he does the tractor work first. You know, he does it right and preps the ground, and then he goes and sprays. And so he's got his own little side hustle just from yeah. fixing that hydrocedar. And that's just, I think that's just who we are. So when I say this made our relationship even better, we're just cut from the same cloth. Yeah. And he's a good bit older than me. Wayne is 11 years older than me. And I wouldn't trade that in for anything. It's like God knew what he was doing. We were two odd cups pieces of wood that fit together perfect yeah you know and we just work really well together when it comes to unscrambling some things well and there's the there's the other part of this um formula we're talking about is the willingness to work if you are willing to work you can i am a firm believer you can make as much money as you want you can stay as busy as you want because just being willing to work automatically sets you apart from the majority of people in today's society. Yep. Automatically. You, just yeah. that simple thing. Yeah. 
All right, I'm willing to. I'm willing to get c- come home and go do do my hydro seating. Like that's the willingness mm-hmm. to work. And if right. you want a job, as soon as someone sees that you're willing to work, they don't care anything else about you. They're like, "Oh, you'll work. Right. <laughs> come on, yep. I've you got know, a job for you. I don't care who you are. You'll be here when you when you told me you were going to be here, and you'll answer yeah. your phone. Okay, Simple you're hired. Yeah. Which both of us, Wayne and I, both get ex- like we do not tolerate the opposite of that very well at all. Like we can't relate to those that the lazy stuff or the people that just don't care or they, they, it just makes us nuts. It makes us nuts. And that's how I ended up finding build your life resume, by the way, because I was in a cave in my office for hours upon hours upon hours. And I thought, I have no, I need more like-minded people around me. Mm-hmm. I need to, you know, improve my network. I'm down here in the country. And when, I mean, we are in these sticks, which we love, but it also removes you from other people. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there are some, don't get me wrong, but I just moved there. I didn't know anybody. Mm-hmm. So that's how I ended up finding that group, Jesse's group. I got to ask you, Amy, uh, just with the, the whole idea of, salty britches and and actually formulating this product you know it's interesting to me that you saw a need for this product and it started with your son yeah correct you saw a need for a product and instead of just doing what 99.9 percent of the rest of us would have done would have been to get on amazon or or go to walmart or something i did that and Okay, I, I you did, did that at first. Yeah. Okay. Nothing worked in salt water. Okay. I tried all the things. Yeah, and because I did exactly that, I went to the high end surf shop. I bought the expensive bathing suits that claimed it would prevent it from salt water. I bought all the diaper creams. I bought all the athletic, you know, barriers. The if it was if it claimed to prevent that, I bought it. Okay. And it would not hold up in salt water either not for very long or my son didn't like it at all Mm -hmm. and it put me in a position of i gotta figure this out for him if if there's nothing out here that's going to work to prevent salt water chafing then i need to make him something and that was the whole but i went through exactly what you're talking about that's the normal progression of things well there's got to be something out there gotta be yeah And there are stuff that claim, there are things that claim that they'll do that, but it didn't work for us. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. I mean, that's a pretty unique niche. I mean, it really is. And and the fact that it works across all spectrums, even in ultra running and and all that, I mean. I never saw that coming. No, I bet you didn't. Mm -mm. What were you going to say, Blake? I know where you were going with what you were saying, and it still applies because she, she did what she knew how in the beginning. And hit a roadblock, so she still could have said, "Son, there ain't nothing out there for you. You just you can't even be able to get in the salt water anymore." You know, <laughs> no, so like right, there Blake. was two options. It's like I've tried everything I know how to do. Uh, you just can't get in the salt water, or no, you can still be a kid and enjoy your life. I'm gonna figure out something to fix it for you. you yeah, know? and then that's where I think that's where you were going, right? Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you're exactly right, Blake. And that's most of us would have just hit a roadblock instead of yeah tackling this monumental <laughs> task of actually formulating something that does work yep. which in and of itself is gosh we could probably talk three or four hours on what that process was like yeah um 
All right, let's take a little break. We'll be right back, and I want to talk to Amy about her faith and and what's going on now and and what the vision for the future is and all that good stuff. So uh, this episode was brought to you by Salty Britches, the uh, premier anti-chafing cream on the market today. I've used it on multiple 100-mile races. One application lasts 24-plus hours on the trail in this nasty, hot, salty Georgia, Tennessee, North Carolina heat. Hey, man, it's good stuff. We'll be back in a minute. I won't charge you for that ad. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right, guys, we're back with uh, Miss Amy Tucker, Blake, president of 307 Project, the brains behind this whole operation. Thank you for being here with us today, Blake. It's an, it's an honor. Thanks for having yeah. me on the show. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you could contribute. <laughs> All right. So uh, another uh, another aspect of Amy, and I think the reason why we, or one of the reasons why we work so well together is because we share a common faith. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And, you know, Amy, every tube of salty britches has Philippians chapter 4, verse 13 on the... Uh, on the tube, um, I just want you to talk to me a little bit about your faith and and why you've chosen to integrate it with your brand and uh, anything you want to share about your testimony and that part of you because I don't know that yeah. uh, in depth, you know. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I got saved when I was ten, so it's it's really kind of I've always been in that world, but I really. I, I knew what was happening at 10, you know, and, and I got baptized and it's always been there. It's always been a part. My mom made sure I had those good roots. Mm-hmm. So when I, you know, it felt like I was such a fish out of water and all these careers that I've been through, I've never been able to really incorporate my faith, which has always been important to me. Always. You know, it was always, oh, you don't talk about politics and you don't talk about religion and yeah you know, it's a if, product if right you're yeah. gonna build your um credibility then you don't go there we had the same people we had people tell us the same thing sure yeah um and you know as i was climbing that ladder and i was in those environments and i was around all sorts of people all different walks of life and different religions and different ways of living i mean it, it, I was just exposed to a lot of people. I'm sure like you were in the SEAL team, obviously a different environment, but in pharmaceuticals, I had people that were part of my team that were from all different parts of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was never quiet, completely quiet about my faith. You know, people knew that I was a Christian. I made sure of that, but I was very careful. I didn't want to, um, to be that odd duck that, you know, really put my faith out there. And that always bothered me. I always knew, gosh, I know, Lord, this is not quite what you expect of me. Mm. And when I decided to go out on my own, I thought, well, this is my chance to tell the world or anybody that cares, this is a faith-based company. And that was one of our very first decisions of, okay, we're going to build this around our faith. And it it just kind of felt natural. Well, when I went to the manufacturer for the tubes, and I, 
you know, worked on my label and got all the legal stuff and yada, yada. I said, all right, we're going to put Philippians 413 on the back of this tube. And they're like, you don't want to do that. <laughs> you do not want to do that. Trust us. It's not a good decision. You are going to turn off so many people that do not share your faith. Yeah. You're going to look like a Bible thumper. You're going to be, you know, you're going to put yourself, pigeonhole yourself over here, and people are going to avoid this product like the plague just mm-hmm. because of that. And I, my response was, you know, the God that I serve is way bigger than that. You know, and if, if this verse just has one person go look it up and spark interest in one person, then it's worth it. But it's my product. So if I want to put Philippians 4.13 all over the tube, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And if you're not going to make it for me, I'll find somebody else that will. But Philippians 4.13 is going on the tube. <laughs> so I, the guy finally conceded, and he's like, well, it's your company, and it's your decision. And I'm like, it's my money. So if I want to put it on the tube, then we're going to put it on the tube. And that's what we did. And the reason for that, there's lots of reasons for it. Number one is we're a faith-based company, and we want to make that clear, that we're a faith-based company. We want to attract like attracts like. That comes from chemistry, by the way. <laughs> and we want people um, to be interested in Philippians 4.13 and the why. And we want people to ask that question. You know, I like to... I like to compare this to people that get religious tattoos. You know, they'll get a verse or a cross, and that will open the door to conversation for people that maybe don't believe that way. You know, and it's their opportunity to to open that door. This is our opportunity to open that door. The reason I chose Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, is because that is one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. Not necessarily quoted, misunderstood verses in the Bible. Um, That's one reason. Because that verse is really talking about, it doesn't mean life is going to be easy. It doesn't mean you're not going to have big obstacles, super hard problems, sickness, disease, death. It means you can move through life with Christ through all things with strength. You know, as long as you have Christ in your life, you can have that supernatural strength, that peace that only comes from Christ, regardless of the situation you're moving through, including building a business. That's hard. But we can do it with Christ. And so we wanted him to be on the forefront of everything. Mm -hmm. So Philippians 4.13 was, was the one I chose because it opens more of a box. It opens more of the Bible. It opens more of the truth about who Christ is because you hear people say, well, why does he, why do bad things happen to good people? You know, and why did, why did they, this is a God serving man. Why does he have cancer? Why is, why is he die? Why is he going to, why did he take my son who was 13 years old? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it opens more of the real difficult conversations. Yeah. So that's why we chose Philippians 4.13. Um, that really is part of our faith, not because we have all the answers and because we're Bible scholars, because we're not. We are normal country folk that love Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So from the age of 10 now to the age of 45, has ha, have you has your has your relationship with Jesus been fairly consistent 
Or no. what? What? No. What? How, how? Talk to me about that a little bit. You know, well, always being a little different, feeling like a fish out of water. I always wanted to fit in. You know, I was a typical teenager because of you know a busted family. When I went through growing up, I went a little wild. You know, I I got in some trouble. I did some things I certainly shouldn't have done. Um, wanting to fit in, wanting to be a part of the cool crowd and the cool kids, and you know, I had my share of poor decisions. And um, fortunately, you know, I was able to to crawl out of some of those poor decisions and take the right path. Because there were many times that I was at a yield in my life of going south, you know, or, or going the right way. Mm-hmm. And those were never easy decisions. But fortunately, I, I made some good ones. And I know that was divine intervention. Mm-hmm. But no, I... You know, I I lost my way certainly um, through college, through high school. You know, I was part of youth group. We went to church every Wednesday night, every Sunday night. You know, we were we were there, but I still wanted to do what the cool kids were doing. I still wanted to go to the parties and do the things, and I did a lot of that. And it, of course, it it I put my relationship with Christ. I packed it up and put it away. Yeah. And as a, it, it started coming back for me when I started traveling a lot and I had a lot of alone time. And then I was seeing some of God's incredible creations, you know, alone, but I was seeing them and it was like, how can you deny that God is here? He's surrounding us. You know, that kind of brought me back into it. And then the turkey hunting and the outdoors brought me back to it too and then you know when I had my son I'm like you know I really want this for him I want him to be surrounded in this type of environment and plant these roots and because once you plant those roots at a young age it's important for kids because they can it's easier to find it again you know they've had that exposure they've got those roots based on what their parents are teaching them and that's a lot of it is that a lot of it was what I was taught but as I got older and I was more mature, it was a very real, tangible relationship. Yeah. Not just an environmental thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference between being saved and being exposed. You know, it was just, it's a very real, a real thing. Real. He's real. He's alive. Yeah. You know, you, you spend some time in your Bible and if that didn't fire you up, then I, I, I hope you find that. You know, I think we're all designed with a giant hole in our soul that only God fills. People try to fill it with everything, you know, with the world, with alcohol or with drugs or with um, with mm. accolades, with awards, with, you know, with all the things of, of the world and all that dissolves money. You know, yeah. they, they try to fill that hole with those things, and it's not, that hole is only going to fit Jesus. Yeah. It's in every one of us. And until you fill it with Jesus, you're going to struggle. You're going to be <laughs> really, you're not going to have peace in your life, and it's it's only for Christ. But we all have that choice, you know, and if a little verse on the back of a, a tube for chafing ointment can somehow, some way, get somebody on that path? It's all that matters. Mm. Boy, that's some sound wisdom right there. 
uh, I couldn't agree more. I also like to point out how Amy talked about being outdoors uh, mm-hmm. as a hunter, turkey hunter, or for us, we do a lot of backpacking on the basic course, and uh, we're we're always in that environment. And you know, gosh, there's a lot of intellectuals out there. There's a lot of really smart scientists. There's a lot of people that try to explain away a lot of this stuff mm-hmm. out here. But for me, when you're out, when you're really out in it, it's just like you look around and you're like, somebody built this. It just makes freaking sense, man. Yeah. And things yeah. have to make sense to me. Yeah. Like that's just the way my, if something doesn't, I, I guess they call it common sense, whatever, things just have to make sense to me. That, okay. That's the reason I've been so, uh, so, uh, going wild on on this whole this whole pandemic thing mm-hmm. is because this thing just hasn't made sense to me, right? That's right. Things just have to do that for to, for me to buy into it. Yeah, and well, it they'll does tell it. you, oh, it's science. It's science. Well, we know the scientist. All of us know the one scientist who created all of this, and yeah. that is Christ. That's God, and that makes sense. Right, <laughs> that makes sense, mm-hmm. and 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 the environment that we have that's still left, the wilderness environments and the places that we have that are still left, um, at, at least uh, I don't want to say untouched, but in a natural state, will help explain that to you. Will help it make better sense in your head if you can get out there and uh, and quiet yourself mm-hmm. intentionally. So. I love that you pointed that out. That's a huge, uh, and and uh, I've had something on my mind. All on the next podcast, we're going to talk about. I made a comment on the prior podcast about how um, Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence. He was very adamant about liberty, the liberty of human beings, but he owned three hundred slaves. Mm-hmm. How can someone that's adamant about human liberties, freedom, be a slave owner. How? What? Environment. You, you know how? The theory of evolution allowed him to be adamant about human liberty, but also own slaves. It's a dangerous thing. We'll talk about that on the next podcast. I'm sorry, you just got me fired hey, up talking about Jesus. Awesome. Um all right, dude. Thank you for having the courage to do that, Amy. Yeah. To uh, to go a, definitely against the grain, against everything that the uh, successful people were telling you to do. It takes a lot of courage, and it took us some time to really ease into it ourselves well, in our own business. The good thing is, too, they're buying chafing cream. So if you say, "Hey, if this verse," Rubs you the wrong way. <laughs> just put you a little bit of salty britches on there. That's hilarious. <laughs> What's that old Blake over there, son? I know. He's actually a, a marketer. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's um. you know, when you, I've heard you speak before about when you t- mention God on Instagram or social media or whatever, and you'll start losing followers because that's happened to me too. And, and uh, it's, it, it, the first time it happened, it stung a little bit. And I'm like, dang, I posted, 
the back of the tube, Philippians 4.13, and I described that verse and why we put it there. And the first comment, someone said, ooh, unfollow. Yeah. And I thought, I was so sad. I was sad for that person that that bothered them so much that they decided to actually put words to that. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, oh, there's that person's walking around with that hole that's not filled with Jesus. <laughs> He's yeah. got to be suffering. You know, that's just kind of how I look at it and how I, how I think about it. But um, it is a risk. It is, and it, but it doesn't feel like a risk. It's like it, it, it's our choice and our belief system, and we feel we serve a God much mightier than the ways of this world. That's the key. Yeah, that's the key. You have to have faith in that. What ultimately? What is your? I, I'm. I. This has crossed my mind so many times. What is your vision for your brand and your business? Because, like, obviously, I'm like, I, I can't tell you how many times I've said, like, this stuff needs to be mainstream. Like, salt, salty britches should be in every Walmart, every uh, everywhere you go. Like, it should because it just it simply works. Um, and it works very well. And is that even part of your vision? I mean, where are you going now moving forward? I, I'm interested. Um, well, I can I can answer that question by telling you where we've been a little bit. Um, and by that, we it was important to us that this grew organically. We did not want to go put money towards marketing, buying followers, buying reviews, Um, buying ambassadors. We haven't done any of that. We wanted this to kind of evolve and tell its story to us because ultimately we don't feel it belongs to us. So we just wanted to let it unfold itself, which it's done. So when we originally did this, we thought it was just a coastal brand. So we were just going to, you know, I was going to hoof it around to the surf shops, you know, and Also, because my family is so important to me, and I'm a mother, and I'm a wife, and I'm a daughter, and I'm a daughter-in-law, my business was not going to get built on their backs. So if it had to go slower, that was okay with me. Um, So I, I wanted to give it some time to organically tell us the story, and that's exactly what it's done. So when we started Coastal, and then we had some triathletes that found it. That never occurred to me. They loved it because they didn't have to reapply and transition from mm-hmm. the swim, the bike, the run. They started contacting us. They started sending us their stories and posting on Instagram. And I thought, wow, you know, the triathlon world, that never occurred to me. And then the ultra running world, partly to because of you, these people really like it. The ultra runners do and the the ones that are running really long distances. You you know you look, you know what you feel in the ultra running world? First of all, in SEAL training, we use this stuff called body glide. Yep. And and I think the only way that body glide pre- prevented chafing, it was a placebo. I think you put <laughs> it on and in your mind you thought, Oh, I put this stuff here, so I'm not gonna chafe here. And then maybe you just moved your arms differently or something when you were in your <laughs> wetsuit. And eventually you would end up chafing, but I think it was just a total placebo. And and it was it was a t- it's a look, guys. 
I know I, I don't like body glide. I've had a terrible experience with it. Now, transitioning to ultra running. Ultra running is an over is is filled overwhelmingly with pacifists. <laughs> <laughs> really, it, it really is. So there are some other companies out there in the ultra running world that make products that claim to do what Salty Britches does, but I don't know because I won't buy their products because they're quite obviously pacifists. And I am I do I cannot stand a pacifist. <laughs> All right? You look at the freaking thing, their their social media, whatever what you look try to look into what okay, what does this brand stand for? That means something to mm-hmm. me, right? Yeah. Look, man. I I guess maybe I'm maybe I'm different, but I'm not going to support a brand. That's why we that's why I gravitated to this product and then just by the grace of God, it works really good. It's like it's like both everything just comes together with this. So that's the hole that I think that you filled in this ultra running community. We have a need for a product like yours and there's a certain amount of us that are in this sport that don't care to support a company that supports a bunch of crap that I'm I'm sorry to say no I'm not sorry to say I don't believe in or stand for. Yeah. Well, we we did not know that story. We didn't even know about ultra running. Like it, this had to tell us the story. Salty Bridges had to do what it did on its own so that we would know who our customer was because we didn't know. We just thought it was it was mom with kids at the beach. Yeah. So we've given it some time to filter its way through where it belongs because that's what we prayed for. Mm. So we had to let that happen. And it, it did feel a need. And we started getting all these messages from people we did not know that are in this ultra community that are doing incredible things. And we just have given it time to mature itself and prove itself out. By not putting money after it, quite frankly, we didn't have money to put after it. We had built this thing, you know, we had bootstrapped the whole thing legit, bootstrapped yeah. it. We didn't want to pour money into something that hadn't been proven. We wanted it to have some time to prove itself, and that's what's happening. That's kind of where we are in the space we are. Yeah. So that kind of happened, and then the military thing happened. That it. That was total divine intervention in my opinion but this this is one of the most incredible stories when it comes to salty britches i had received my first shipment of salty britches in our first tubes and our whole family came over we were going to open the boxes it was a big celebration all this work all this trial and error and i finally had my first products and we opened the boxes and i noticed that Lots of the tubes were sealed incorrectly. Like they had put them through a machine. To, and we make all this in the USA, but they had put this through a machine. And the reason this happened is because we were too small for anybody to work with us. And I landed on a mom and pop operation in Minnesota that worked with the Amish. So they don't hire and fire people. When they have big runs, the Amish trade off work with them. Well, they didn't make a lot of tubes on a sample line. They filled a lot of jars. They bought a little hand sealer tube 
thingamajig to seal the tubes for our line on the sample machine. So they weren't going to put a big tube sealer on a sample line, but they agreed to let me run on a sample line just to get me started. I didn't know any of this till after the fact. I thought they could just make the tubes and, you know, fill and seal the tubes and I'd be good. But they took a risk on me by letting me come into their place, putting me on the sample line, and then they had to figure some stuff out too. So when I got my first shipment, a thousand of my tubes were sealed incorrectly where my labels were turned. Like they had twisted the tubes when they sealed them. Mm. Well, when I opened this box and I see all of this, I had a complete meltdown. Oh, I bet. I was like, what have I done? This is such a bad decision and I cannot believe I'm doing this. I mean, it was a total meltdown. And my whole family was like... I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm sorry this happened. You know, good try. <laughs> so what's crazy about this is less than 24 hours later, I had a phone call to come have a lunch with some people that really wanted to talk to me. And I go into this dark restaurant and there's these four big burly guys sitting around a table. Some of them had sunglasses on inside and I had no idea who I was dealing with. And I sat down, and I told them who I was. They told me their first names. (laughs) And the main guy leaned across the table. He said, Miss Tucker, there are two things we need help with, our feet and chafing. I said, I think I can help you. As a matter of fact, I have a 1,000 tubes I can't sell. Do you want them? And these guys, to bring it back, were in the military, special forces. I said, I have a thousand tubes. I can't sell. Do you want them? He said, we don't care what the tube looks like as long as the stuff on the inside works. Mm-hmm. That was my first we'll donation. We'll cut it open with a pocket knife and get it out if we have to. Yeah. That was my first donation to the military. And to date, I've donated almost 11,000 tubes to the military. Holy Man. smokes. So we donate a tube for every tube we sell. Wow. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that's not cheap either. Why haven't we been telling people about that? I didn't know. I didn't know. I, I didn't, didn't know, know we it. did that. No, uh-uh. I mean, I I remember stuff for about five minutes. Yeah, that's okay. But. It it's definitely taking care of itself. I mean, we've gotten it's yeah, been it's been neat to people see. People need to hear that you're doing yeah. that. I mean, yeah. that's huge. Yeah. Well, they came to us. Now I know these guys very well. You know, they're like my unofficial board members, and they came to me and said, "Can you make this in a black tube?" And I'm like, "I'm I know there's a way. Sure." <laughs> I'll figure it out. And that was in 2019, late 2019. And so I got to work on a black tube and then COVID hit and I could not get supplies. I couldn't get anybody to call me back. People weren't working, yada, yada, yada. It's a miracle I got it when I got it, but I just was relentless. You know, I just would not give up. You mean people weren't working? I know, right? What's wrong with these people? Why didn't they take the machines home and do it at home? <laughs> but needless to say, I finally got a black tube. Um, they helped me design it. So our original tube has a flip-top cap, and it has a, two orifices. It's got the orifice in the tube and the orifice in the cap. And it created a pressure phenomenon where it was hard to squeeze. In cooler, in cooler temperatures. And I knew that was kind of a problem. I, in the hot, humid South, it really wasn't a big deal. But turns out people were buying this all over the country. And I had some guys that were playing hockey that lived in upstate New York near Syracuse. And they had bought the product. They sent me an email and said, we are having trouble squeezing this out of the tube. It was like October. I'm like, oh, really? So that... 
That prompted me to reformulate the winter skin relief. So it's designed not to freeze. The chafing ointment is designed not to melt. Same raw materials, different levels. So I ended up coming up with another product just out of that problem. So the military guys, um, they wanted to change the packaging. Well, what I, I asked them, you know, how can I make this better for you? It's all about serving the people that need this stuff. How can I make this better for yeah. you? And they said, we hate flip tops. We don't like any flip top. We have to put Gorilla Tape on it. If we're going to put it in our ruck, we don't want it to pop off. We don't want it to leak. We don't want the stuff to get all over our gear. We hate a flip top. Can you change it to a rib screw top? Absolutely. Um, they wanted a larger opening. It makes it easier to squeeze in all temperatures. Yeah, let's do that. They come up with a logo. That is their, their um, that's an ode to World War II. Um and the guy taking the hill, and that, that picture is very famous. That's a real person. That's a real soldier. They came up with that logo, and they came up. What does the verbiage say on the front of that tube, Chad? Will you read it? This says, prevents or soothes chafing and blisters during ruck amphibious operations and all other imagined misery. <laughs> yep, they came up with that, too. That was so fun. That's pretty legit, man. Those guys... Active duty came up with that. That's so cool. That's what they wanted, and that's what they got. And this is made in the USA, too. Yeah, it's made in Minnesota, Yeah, Minneapolis. The same company doing your tubes still? No, so I outgrew them, finally. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I, I'm now at an FDA-approved facility that makes lots of products that you use every day. I wonder if the Amish work during coronavirus. Absolutely. I don't think the Amish stop for anything. They don't. Mm -hmm. No, they, they just, don't. They, they got their own thing going on, son. Yep, they do what they want. <laughs> yeah, they, those are some incredible people. So, Dude, that's so cool. Yeah. Are, are these are, are these available for sale to the public? Yep. Okay. Yeah, they're out. They're on our website. We have a couple of stores that are carrying them, but Camp Lejeune has already put in an order for the schoolhouse for wow. the special forces. Congratulations. Yep. That's amazing. Are, are you going to go, are you going to, are, are, you want to get in Walmart or, or stuff so about like that, that one day? So I didn't answer that. So when I'm telling you that we want this to create its own voice and help us figure out who the customer is, what has happened is that a lot of independent retailers, meaning no box stores, they're not corporate owned. These are mom and pop. This um, is the canoe house. Yes. I see it every time I go in there. You're in Neil's Gap, right? No, I'm not yet. You're not yet in Neil's no. Gap? That'll be a good place for it. Yeah, that would be a good yeah. place for it. I don't it. mean to keep sidetracking No, you. that's I'm okay. Um, I am at Sun Sunrise Grocery in Blairsville. Okay. Um, they've sold a good bit of it. So anyway, the independent retailer is where I started and where I am right now on purpose. I'm not, like I said, I'm not, it's not about the money. I'm not trying to blow this up. I want it to be done the right way. And if that means going slower, then that's what we're doing. Okay. So we're letting independent retailers tell us about our customer because they like the product and they explain it. So, but if I'm on a shelf with 10 other versions and no one's ever heard of Salty Britches, they've never seen it anywhere. They've never gone to the beach and seen it at a surf shop. They've never seen it anywhere. They're not going to choose that product. They don't even recognize it. They're going to go with Body Glide yeah. because it's been out forever. Yep. It doesn't tell the story there. So our goal is to go through independent retailers. They can champion the product, which is exactly what they've done. We're in 112 retailers um, nationwide. 
which, I mean, obviously there's a million more to go. Um, we have a distributor in Canada and we have a distributor in Florida. And it's independent retailers. And we sell on Amazon as well, but we sell it for more on Amazon. We don't want to hurt our independent retailers, but people are going to go to Amazon. It'd be stupid for me not to sell it there. Yeah. But our um, our independent retailers are champion. They're they're the champions for our brand, and we're in everything from Ace Hardware to um, surf shops to outdoor stores to local markets. Local markets crush it. I don't know what That's it awesome. is about the little local IGA, but they sell a lot of this. Um, we're in a couple of gas stations. That sell the heck out of it. I'll tell you what, it's a pretty daggone genius model, and and uh, you know, to think to think through that in that way, and being able to be patient enough to say we want to do this right, and if it takes longer, that's okay. But the way you just explained it to me, I because the whole time I've been thinking, why didn't Amy just go straight to the daggone big box store, right, where she can, you know. Blow up. Yeah, fill an order of whatever, a hundred thousand of these things. But like talking through it that way and then having the patience to let it happen like that and being disciplined enough to live within your means until that happens, if it happens, because when it does happen, if it happens, it's going to be so much more powerful because of the way you're doing it, right? I mean, it's freaking genius. It, it is harder. And it... And that's okay because it's just the way it is. Yeah. You know, I mean, BattleBox picked us up. BattleBox has a subscription box, a huge subscription box. They're based in Georgia, by the way. Milledgeville, I think, is where they ship from. Um, Portal, Georgia is where they're based. But they bought 17,000 black tubes and put it in every subscription box for BattleBox in March. Man. And then they have Crate Club, which is another subscription box. So they purchased a bunch for Crate Club, and they cater to Special Forces. So it's um, it's getting discovered. I mean, Nine Line picked us up. They put us in every store, in every yeah. retail store, and that was a big one for us. Um, we've got Seven Project picked you up. Yeah, we've got some really good <laughs> exposure, you know. And um. the good thing about it is that our exposure is legit. It yeah, one hundred percent. People that love the product. And that's what we want. We want it to be based on integrity. And not this isn't going to be for everybody. That's okay. But we know the people that like it, legit like it. Yep. Because we're not a big corporation that are going out and hiring people to say that they like it. Yep. You know? and That's so cool, man. There's so many lessons from, from that for mm -hmm. anybody that's building a business with a product like this, man. People don't like this way, though. And if you talk to the gurus, which I don't do, they don't. This is not their, this is not their uh, roadmap oh, for no. success. <laughs> oh no! But you know, I don't serve that roadmap. I don't. I don't serve money. Yeah. I don't serve success. I serve a mighty God that does immeasurably more than I can ever ask or imagine, and I have to be patient. That is my job, and I have to take one step at a time and try to go down the path he he leads me, and that's what he's asked me to do. Mm. And this will do what it does. That's just how it's going to be. <laughs> That's an awesome mindset, man. I love it, Amy. Man, I've learned so much from you here today. Um, I, we've actually went 15 minutes over our time. We, uh -oh. we by, by Brooke's orders, we were <laughs> on a 90-minute time cap because she's got a dinner planned tonight. Amy and Brooke and a bunch of ladies took a, uh, a women's hiking mission 
hiking trip, whatever you, I don't even know what y'all did, man. I, I wish I could have been there. I would have been, that would have been right up my alley. I mean, my dude, I love women so much. <laughs> We're glad you weren't there. Look, man. <laughs> We had I no space for you. I would have fit right in with that team. Look, it was amazing. So they're having a they're having a dinner tonight. Uh, a little at, reunion. A little reunion at the house, and I can't wait to hear some of the stories from y'all's trip. I am going to be there this evening, and I'm looking forward <laughs> to that. So all um, I can say is I legit believe in salty bridges because I was covered in it for that trip, and I had no blisters and no chafing, no issue whatsoever. Well, I think everybody literally. I'd say ninety percent of the students that come out of the basic course have salty britches oh, yeah. with them. Yeah. 90. Oh really? They no, already have it. They I, brought it with them. Oh yeah. I'd say ninety percent <laughs> probably do. And yeah. um so yeah, we put it through the ringer in all environments, all temperatures. Yeah. And um yeah, it's awesome. And beyond beyond making the the uh beyond the product, thank you for um being just who you are thank you for being so awesome to us so generous to us not only with your time with your product with uh supporting the podcast and, I love it. and allowing us to tell people about the things that uh the, the products that we the product that we use and we like i mean it's a it's truly an honor and um thanks for being here with us today you drove you've been on a little tour here a little salty bridges tour <laughs> yeah you've been on the road all day you thought you were going to the to the house to sit down, chill out, eat some dinner, but you dropped in to do a podcast, and we really appreciate it. So. I'm honored. I appreciate it. All right, Amy. Well, Blake, you got anything else? I'll just echo everything you said. We appreciate you and love you. Ditto. All right, guys. Well, I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. This was awesome. This is the 3-7 Podcast. Enough said.